All right, we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 1. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17. And wherever else we hit, I'll probably just read that out. I think we're going to hit Ephesians in the end. You know, I've been praying about the church. There's no secret. It's been on my mind about the church, about, you know, what do we do? And one thing that I've realized, and you, you can realize it with me or not, but we're either at the beginning or we're at the end. And uh, I don't think we're at the end. And uh, I just don't. There's church plants that have started out with less than what we got right now. But it is time to take a look at ourselves and to take a look at what we're doing. In process of that, I've talked around, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, I was talking to him recently about growing the church. Now, we know that God grows the church, amen? We know that God puts people in that he wants in. We also know that we're not supposed to sit around like a magnet trying to uh, attract people. I remember when... uh, I remember when I was in the Navy and I came home, they'd give you harp duty, right? Yeah, it was an excuse to go home for a couple of weeks, but you were supposed to be helping the recruiter. You know, well, I showed up. I don't know how much help I was doing. But I remember listening to him on the phone one time, and he had a guy all set up to go to MEP Center. Now, for a recruiter, that's like sales, man. That's meeting your quota. That's, you know, and he had him in the pipeline. He was going to the center to get inducted into the Navy. And he's there talking to him, and the guy backed out, and he said, well, I tell you what, if you want to sit around Tech City like a magnet waiting for something to come to you, you know, when you get tired of that, you give me a call. <laughs> if you want to do something with your life, you give me a call. And, uh, you know, a church can't just sit around like a magnet waiting for something to come to it, and I'm realizing. But uh, we're to go into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can reach out with missions but the, the current environment shows us that missions are right here at home. I mean, we are in a missionary environment here at home. Mission starts at home. Any missionary worth his salt, he starts at home before you send him out. If he won't witness at home or if, you know, if he's not leading to the pe- people to the Lord at home, he won't do it when he goes overseas. It's not the location. It's, it's whether you're walking close to the Lord and whether you're doing what go- the Lord wants. So... I was talking to him about church growth, and he asked me this question. He said, what is your demographic? Do y'all know what demographics are? It's a business question. Before they move in a McDonald's or a Subway or before they move, well, Dollar General will put themselves up 10 miles apart no matter what. But uh, before they put in a McDonald's or a Subway or a Hobby Lobby or anything, they'll look at the They'll look at the city and they'll say, well, these demographics, this is what, you know, these are the demographics we're reaching for. Uh, they determine the group of people they want to reach with their product and their advertising. And if there isn't enough of that demographic in the area where they want to build the store, they either decide on different products that will appeal or they just don't build the store. So many church plants today will do this. They'll take a look at the area and they'll look at the demographics and they'll say, you know, when we're, we're planting a church in this area and we're going for this demographic of people. They look at all sorts of things. They might look at age groups. How many people are 20 to 25? How many people are 25 to 30? How many people are 35 to 40? 
and they'll get an idea of that, so on and so on. They might look at the ethnic makeup of the, of the community. They might look at income levels. Is the community made of upper incomes, middle incomes, or lower income? Don't worry, we're going to be Bible today. Don't get nervous. This isn't a speech. This is an introduction. So I thought about the question because it's something I hadn't wanted to think about. You know, I, I know being a pastor of a church, you know, there's just something that makes me uncomfortable about looking at demographics, something that makes me uncomfortable about looking at the area and saying, well, this is what we're shooting for. So I, I thought, I said, well, I don't have an answer for that. And then my mind kind of went over it, and I thought about age. You know, the first thing the church argued over was the fact that some of the widows weren't being properly taken care of over in Acts chapter number 6. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, God wants us to take care of the elderly. God wants us to, you know, we're to, we're to be a family, right? Uh, Paul told Timothy to take care of the widows who were wind- widows indeed. They lived their lives, and their husband had passed on. So when it comes to demographics, I don't know about singling out. Many churches, in order to reach a younger demographic, have split their services. A traditional service in the morning for the older people and a contemporary service for the younger people. Maybe not so much now because the transition's been made, but I remember in the early 2000s, this was a thing for churches where they would divide up the services and they'd have the traditional in the morning and the contemporary in the afternoon, the one with the music and the drums and everything. I know a church in Statesboro that had a service in back just for the youth and the old, and then the older people met in front. They segregated the youth away from the older people. Now, this may look good for numbers, but I personally think you're saying we don't need you anymore. I personally, here's a service for you guys until your time is done. And then when you're gone, we'll go ahead and take over the whole church. That's what it felt like to me anytime I heard about something like that. You know, when I see the Bible and when I see Christianity in the past, I see the young learning from the old. And I I see a family together, not divided up. So I didn't like that idea, dividing by age and demographics. Oh, when you've gone home to the Lord, we can phase out the traditional service. Besides, you won't really like the new music. It's too loud. Now, I'm not saying it's like that everywhere. On the other hand, the Bible says we're to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, we will not depart from it. One of the other things they say, they say we need to get young people in church. We need to do, you know, we need to do all we can to get young people in the church. I've seen churches that are focused on young people and you get young people, but you never get their parents. You, have, you become a babysitting service. And, uh, and so just going for the young demographic, that didn't sit well with me. I'm just being honest with y'all. And uh, so, yeah, the Bible says, train up a child when he should, when he went the way he should go, and when he is old, he should not depart from it. So we should be teaching young people. We should be teaching young people in the Bible. I know one church that I went to, they, you know, they had a good youth program, and man, they were doing things all the time. We went to the museum with them one time. We went to see a movie one time. I remember the Sunday school services. There'd be 15 minutes of song and music. There'd be 15 minutes of watching some catchy video, and there, then there might be five minutes of Bible at the end. And uh, I'm so charismatic that when, when the church split, 
and all the kids went with the split. And my, my class got down to two kids, three kids, because all I was do was teach Bible. And so I'm not a charismatic person. Uh, so when it comes to the age demographic, I don't think we get to pick and choose. So I couldn't think of an age demographic. Income, I thought about income. James said in James 2, 1, to have, not, have the faith of, not to have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. He said, if somebody comes in with a gold ring and fancy clothes and another comes in and buy raiment, you aren't to put the rich man up front and put the poor man in the back. All are equal under the eyes of God. In fact, the rich man is more likely to oppress you than the poor man is, the Bible says. And uh, I watched a, a documentary recently because they like to make shows about when a preacher falls, but the whole Hillsong movement thing. And, uh, you know, Justin Bieber, they may sit thou here in a good place. And the other people, well, you can sit up in the balcony back there, you know. They divide them up because, man, they're giving them money. And I, don't, I just don't think I could do an age uh, income demographic. I don't really care what you make, you know. God was just as concerned with the widow's might as he was with, with well, he was less concerned about the one that walked up with a giant check. This is how much I'm donating, trying to cram it in the box. That's how I always see it. I thought about ethnicity, and that didn't take long. So when it comes to ethnicity, Pastor uh, Peter learned a lesson about that in Acts chapter number 10 when the Lord gave him a vision of a sheet let down from heaven. Peter and the rest of the Jews saw separation as keeping separate from the Gentiles. They saw the Gentiles as dogs. And when Peter saw the Gentiles, Cornelius and his friends and family get saved, it said in uh, verse 34, Acts 10, 34, And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God don't care about your skin color, whether you're Indian, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Mexican. God saves all. And, uh, so I don't get to choose ethnicity. When Dee and I first visited this church, we saw people gathered around the Bible and studying God's word, and that's what we were looking for. When we were in Georgia at Calvary Baptist Church, we learned God's word through the preaching and teaching of God's word. And we drew close to God, and that, that was one of the times we were closer to God than in any other time in our marriage. We drew close to God through the preaching and teaching of God's word and enjoying the singing, too. Amen. And uh, so I'm not an entertainer. I don't have the heart to. If it takes entertainment to draw people in, and if that's what everybody wants, then we need to get somebody else to do it, because I just can't do it. The whole reason I'm here is to be around the Bible and to be around God's Word. I don't have big ideas for programs to draw people in. I don't have a magnetic personality. Unless you count the times I've repelled people the way two similar magnetic poles repelled each other. Amen? Here's the thing about God's Word, and you'll learn this. The deeper you get into God's Word, the more you learn about God's Word, the more it's going to make your circle smaller. And I'm not apologizing or making an excuse for having a small circle, but I'm saying that the more you get into God's Word, the less you're going to agree with somebody. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I tell you what else I know about God's word. The more you get into it, the less you may like yourself. (laughs) Everybody talks about, I learned to love myself. Well, you learn not to love God's word. Because it doesn't mean that you walk around in self-hate. It doesn't mean that you walk around in depression. But it means that you understand, hey, I am capable of doing bad. You don't worship yourself. You say, God, help me to change this. And you, you, you begin to walk closer to the Lord. And those things begin to weed out of your life. But if you think that everything's all right in your life, you don't want to be confronted by God's word because he'll show you where you're coming up short. And it's like I said, it's not so that you can beat yourself up every Sunday because there's people that will do that. There's preachers that will do that. They'll beat you to death. But it's, I, uh, Bill, if it's okay, I was talking to Bill. I said, you know why the sheepskin's in my office? <laughs> Dee Dee got that for me because our favorite preacher, he talked about it. Brother, uh, I can't even think of his name right now. He's my favorite preacher. Brother Peacock talked about it. Thank you. I'm losing my mind. But uh, she got me that sheep skin. You know why? Because you can only skin the sheep once and it's dead. It's a reminder about the sheep. So not an entertainer, not a magnetic personality, but the deeper you get into it, the more you learn, it'll create division. It'll divide. It starts out with dividing believers from non-believers. Once you understand that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him, somebody that says any other way, you become split on that point. And if you don't want to split on that point, then you don't want salvation the Bible way. So it divides believers from non-believers. It'll divide believers in works salvation from believers in grace through faith. We trust in grace through faith. We trust in salvation by faith. You don't work your way into heaven. You can't do enough. You can't work enough. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't build enough. You can't give enough to charity to get your way into heaven. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So it'll divide you there. People say that the Bible we have today contains the word of God. You just need us to show you which parts it that can change, and that can change. It'll divide it from people that say that the Bible we have today contains the Word of God from the believers who believe the Bible that you hold in your hand is the Word of God. And that's what I believe. There's no argument. There's no debate on it. Just as much as I know my hand is my hand, I trust that this is God's word because I found out a long time ago that when you take it out of that realm and when you say, well, this might be here and this might be here, all of a sudden you're holding a bucket of water. And I just trust God. You know, there's some things I don't understand. Somebody showed me one time. They said, well, that's a Deuteronomy 29, 29. You ought to look that up for yourself. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm not going to go there. So I could go on and on. Once you take a stand on anything, you're going to thin your circle of friends down a little bit. The only demographic I know how to reach. And in some ways, the only demographic I want to be around when it comes to being in church is a Bible believer. Someone who wants to remain faithful to the Bible. And people who want to draw closer to God through his word. 
People who aren't afraid to be confronted by what his book says. You know, I, I, I've talked to some, some people that, trying to get close to the Lord, trying to draw back to the Lord. And I've been there myself. And uh, that's one of the things that pleases me the most is somebody that wants to get back with the Lord. Somebody that wants to be in fellowship with the Lord. Someone that wants to have a relationship with the Lord. Did y'all find it yet? I see y'all looking. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto God, but the things that are known belong to us and our children that we may do them. So when you get frustrated, you can pull a Deuteronomy 29, 20. We don't know everything, but we're responsible for what we do know. All right. When you're done marking that one, you can look at Psalms chapter 1. And Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Well, let's pray. Amen. So Psalm, verse number three says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And we talk about the demographic for the church, and the, the demographic I'm looking for is the Bible believer. I'm looking for somebody that wants to draw close to God. I'm looking for people that want a fellowship around God's word and people that, that enjoy that. And I'm not saying that that's not in other churches, but I'm saying in our church, this is what we're looking for. And it uh, says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. When we, uh, when we switched over and we became Bayou Baptist Church, I had kind of asked myself a similar question, but I wasn't asking myself as hard maybe as I should have back then. But I thought, that's, that's a good verse. That's a good passage because being planted by the rivers of water. And I'm going to explain that to you today, but that's what we put, you know, we, we wanted a tree logo and Caleb came up with the three trees. It just works out, you know, and underneath we put like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I, I don't know that I've explained it out real good why we went with that. I don't think people understand. I'm going to explain it today. So, Whenever I think of a healthy tree, I picture growth, a tree that's been around for years. It still started as a tender sapling. I remember uh, I go to my dad's house. There's a tree in front. I remember when he planted it. We were worried about mowing over it. He had it all blocked around so it wouldn't get mowed over. But that thing's big. <laughs> It'd take you a day to get it down now. Uh, when you think about a tree, it bears fruit, whether it's oranges, apples, pecans, or any other type of seed. It bears fruit, and it reproduces itself, and that's the whole reason it bears fruit. Uh, and you think of stability. It's weathered storm, storms, even bent over with the wind, but it hasn't broken. You know, we've had hurricanes. We've had Ike. We've had Harvey. We've had floods, but the trees still stand. Some of them get knocked down. The ones that are weak, the ones that have shallow roots, or the ones that are corrupted inside, but 
the healthy trees, they still remain standing even under a 180 mile an hour wind or 80 mile an hour wind. So it paints a picture, and the picture that is given here is of a tree that is planted by rivers of water. It has a constant source to feed on and to help it grow. This is one of the pictures that the Bible uses in the New Testament when talking about Christians. When we first became, and I jumped ahead, I guess, but when, I, when we first became Bayou Baptist Church, I thought of Psalm 1-3. I thought of the picture given here. Here you have a picture of disciples that are rooted and grounded, planned, grounded, planted next to the source, growing, healthy, and producing fruit. So this is essentially our mission statement, and that's what's on the logo. It's a reminder that we want to be a place for people who desire to grow and bear fruit. You know, they talk about sheep and goats. <laughs> All right. In a way... The mission of Bayou Baptist is to plant trees by the water and help them grow. Jeremiah paints a similar picture, and he may even be referenced in Psalm 1, but he goes into slightly more detail. Look over at Jeremiah chapter 17 and keep your finger in Psalm 1. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now, if you notice that the main thing is planted by the rivers of water. Now, not all people who say a prayer to, get, to be saved get saved. It's a prayer of the heart. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's been many people that have come to that moment of decision and they've prayed for Christ, but you don't know what's going on in their heart. Only God knows what goes on in their heart. It's a belief in the heart. It's a trust. Even those who are truly saved, they can't possibly know all there is to know about God at the point when they accept Christ. I remember as an 11-year-old, I remember accepting Christ. I've told this story many times, but the family wasn't going to church and I had no clue what it was to be a disciple of Christ. I, I barely, you know, I read the Bible here and there, but I just, I just had nothing. And after a while, sin begins to take hold. Sin begins to take hold. Paul mentioned a fellow named Demas over in 2 Timothy 4.10. He said, uh, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. So even Paul's own followers, as close as he was to the Lord, those around him, there was some that said, you know, I... I got things to do, Paul. I can't follow you around. I, I, you know, I got to get a new wagon. I got to get a new horse, whatever it was. And uh, you could argue about whether or not they were saved in the first place, and then you discover that that's another dividing point. Some people say, well, well, if they got away from God, they were just never saved in the first place. That's the easy solution, right? But God knows the heart. You're looking on the outside. God knows the inside. 
God knows our heart. For there are many, there comes a time when they realize that the thing they've been missing, the hole they've been trying to fill, is that relationship with God that they once had. They reach out and they begin to search anew. There's something missing. They look for a church because when you've lost something, you go back to the place that you left it. Isn't that right? You lose your keys. And well, where were you? I didn't have my wallet last night. Didi's like, where's the last place you used it? Well, I took it out of my pocket so I wouldn't be sitting on it up here. It was on my desk. But you go back to where you lost it. And many people, they go back to church. They'll go looking for a church. I remember we were uh, in Tom, in uh, we were in Warner Robins, Georgia, and we had tried a church. We had a church down in Thomasville, and we moved away from there. We went to a church over in, I can't remember the town, over yonder. But we went there a little bit, and it just wasn't a church for us, you know. It was a little bit of a drive, but we began to fall out again. And I got under conviction. I was listening to some preaching tapes, and I told Dee, I said, you know, we're going to go to church this Wednesday night. I said, I don't know where we're going, but find us a place. We're going to tithe. We're going to give, you know, the Lord helped me with this job. We're, we're going to give money. Just find us a place to give it. And she said she looked in that phone book, and she said the ad was this big. I said, King James only, and you know how I am about that. But it, <laughs> she said the ad looked this big, you know. Later on, we found out the ad was like this. But we went there on that Wednesday night, and we met Brother Grady and Miss Hazel, and we met uh, Ronnie, and, you know, they were having a revival meeting. So they had a guest preacher in. Brother Grady wasn't even preaching. And we sat there the first night, and they said, you know, Y'all come back and eat with us. Come back and eat, you know. A good Baptist meeting. I don't know, you know, have some food. And uh, we went back there, and she said, well, come on back tomorrow night. And it's like, well, I've been out of church. I don't know. They said, oh, come on back tomorrow night, you know. Well, we, and we came back the next night. And then we came back Friday night. And then by Friday night, we'd already been going to church for three weeks, so we just went on Sunday. It just worked out like that. But they go back to church. They're looking for something. They're going back to the place, or they're looking for a place that's going to help them. And... uh they may find an exciting church. There may be a lot going on, and they begin to feel closer to God. They begin to feel the fellowship, and in a good church, they'll begin to learn more about their relationship with the Lord through his Bible and more about how to walk from the other believers around them who are setting an example through their own life and walk. And uh, I've told you about the church in Decatur, Alabama. These aren't in order. These are out of order. But the church in Decatur, Alabama, where they first invited us to church, and Edie said they came by the house three times. And uh, they invited us to church, and we went. I remember sitting in the service. I told Dee Dee, I said, I really like this church, but if they want us to pack up and move to Guyana, I'm out of here. Other than that, I'm good. Do you all know what that is? Jim Jones. But we enjoyed going there. And I remember something that impressed me more than anything when we were, uh, they, had, they had discipleship where they were teaching they had, you know, they, they all supported each other in going out. There was a, it was a fairly big church, and uh, you could learn. That's where I first started learning about God's Word. That's where God first started showing me some types in the Bible. And I remember being excited and telling my Sunday school teacher, yeah, he's, I saw this in here and this and that, and he's looking at me. And I know that look now because I've been on the other side of it. And I said, what, have I got that all wrong? He said, no. It's just nice seeing somebody get it, you know. 
And I remember they had an outing out there, and I remember them talking, and they weren't talking about sports and football. They said, you know, sometimes I feel like Paul. Sometimes I kind of feel like I understand what Paul was going through, you know. Well, for me, they were talking about Bible. That, that impressed me. But uh, the first thing that no one do as a Christian is to get back and stay firmly planted by the source of your spiritual nourishment. It said a tree planted by the water, planted by the rivers of water over in Psalm 1. Jeremiah says, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. And uh, Paul refers to the Old Testament in Exodus. Here we go. The source of our spiritual nourishments is Jesus Christ. When it comes to types or pictures in the Bible, water is tied to the Holy Spirit of God that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Paul refers to the Old Testament in Exodus after the Israelites left Egypt and they couldn't find water. God used Moses striking a rock to paint a picture of Jesus Christ. We know the story. 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul said, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In John 4, Jesus was talking to a woman at the well about the water in the well, and he said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus later talked about those living waters that would flow from those who believed in him. In John chapter 7, verses 38 to 39, he said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this, and this is how we know water points to the Holy Spirit by looking at the Bible and comparing scripture with scripture. He said, But this he spake of the Spirit, which he, they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So those types and things, those aren't things that we just make up to please ourselves and to sound important or to grab from here and there, but you see them in the New Testament being referred to, those events in the Old Testament. So we know God's Spirit is represented by the water, and that tree is firmly planted by that water. Your relationship with God is a spiritual relationship. It's one that can't be seen but God's presence can be felt. People chase after a spiritual high. They reach up. They sing songs designed to get you into the spirit. I mean, they actually have it set up. We're going to go at this level for here, and we're going to go at this level for here, and you know, and, and you're, we'll get people really in the spirit for the preaching. They sing songs designed to get you into the spirit. They say we walk by faith and not by sight, but they constantly chase after a physical manifestation of the spirit. A tree that's planted by the water is planted by a silent source. Amen. A tree that's close to the source, the river's water, will silently draw from that source. It will thrive on that source. You never see the water flowing through it, but you will see it in the health of that tree, just like in a believer. When Jesus was talking to Cornelius, he talked about the wind. He compared it to the, not Cornelius, when he was talking in uh, John chapter 3 um, to the Pharisee. When he was talking in John chapter 3, he talked about the wind blows where it lists, but you don't know where it comes from. So is the spirit, he said. You never see the water flowing through it, but you see it in the health of that tree. 
In uh, Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, it said, Blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So the blessed man in this passage is referred to as a tree planted by the water. He's not affected by the heat. He's not worried about a drought, and he doesn't stop bearing fruit. That kind of sounds like some marks of a healthy Christian. It's an excellent picture. Often when someone goes looking for a church to go back to, they get get close to the source, they may find excitement. They may look around and say, I want to be a part of that. I want what they got. These are the couple of things that I've observed over the years. Somebody that's get, trying to get back into church and they come to church. It's just a couple of things I've seen. One, there's the controlling church or pastor that has control of everything. The Christian who's trying to get back to the source is quickly given a job to do. They may begin by helping out and then find out they're in charge of the activity. At that point, the source of their spirituality is their position and not their relationship with Jesus Christ. This doesn't happen in every circumstance, but I've seen it happen. I've seen where somebody comes into church, and instead of getting the Word of God, well, they're getting it in the lessons, and they're getting it in the teaching, and they're getting it in this and that, but they're going to have to miss out on Sunday school because they got to get the kitchen ready for the after-church event. they got to get things prepared and set up, so they begin to miss out. Y'all have heard me preach on Mary and Mark, and I leaned a little more toward Mary's direction. I can tell you something else that as I get older, I'm leaning a little more toward Martha's direction too because things got to get done. But uh, there's a balance in everything. So they may begin by helping out and then find out they're in charge. I've seen one of two things happen when this happens to somebody. Number one, they'll burn out and fall out. And they'll just get out. Uh, Number two, and there may be other things, Number two, they may stay where they are, and it begins to wear on them. And it begins to wear them down. And they're not planted by the river. They're planted by that job. They're there at the church. They're, the source is there. The Word of God is there, but they're busy. And they're not planted in the Word of God. They're not drawing from the river, but their source, their connection with God is that job. And they begin to get bitter. It doesn't happen to everybody, but sometimes there's a bitterness that takes hold. They stay there for the wrong reason. Churches become a job, and their bitterness will affect others that are trying to find their way back to the source. So there's the exciting church. There are many programs going on, road trips, entertainment, physical manifestations of the Spirit. And uh, this would be another point where you can take a stand and it'll divide. I haven't seen as much of this firsthand, But I've seen more of the fallout that can happen. When your relationship with the Lord is based on excitement, you'll burn up in times of drought. I think I kind of saw some of this in my own life. You know, we enjoy going to Calvary. We enjoy being close to the Lord. And Brother Grady passed away. And man, you know, it was a string. Seemed like 300 cars in that funeral for a man who pastored a church of about 30, well, maybe 60, huh? But uh, it was from, from all the people that knew him down through. And once all that was gone and, and uh, 
once we, we ended up moving and once we were away from all of that and we were away from the revival meetings where you got pumped up, man, and where you got excited and we were away from the other churches that we could go visit, they were having a revival meeting, you know, we were the unassociated association of the independents of the independents. <laughs> it was kind of a fellowship of churches and they all supported each other, but it kept you in the Lord. I mean, I remember, you know, oh, brother so-and-so is preaching over here. Let's go hear him. And we would get something out of it. It wasn't entertainment. It was hearing God's word. It'd be a, oh, that hurt. And you'd pray about it, you know. The Lord fixed that in me. But when that's gone, when that's what kept you close to the Lord, when it was the excitement, when it was everything that's going on, when that's what keeps you close to the Lord, you're not planted by the river. You're planted by the excitement. And you begin to get away from that river well, the river's there, but when you begin to get away, you're getting away from where you were drawing your source from. You were drawing your source through that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying the Word of God wasn't there. The Word of God was there, but when we got away, the Word of God, we, we wasn't bringing it with us. didn't seem like, or you just start to, it starts by bits and pieces. So when your relationship with the Lord is based on excitement, you'll burn up in times of drought. Because there's always a time when the excitement ends. Oswald Chambers, he wrote, my utmost for his highest. He said, we have all had times on the mount when we have seen things from God's standpoint and we have wanted to stay there, but God will never allow us to stay there. The test of our spiritual life is the power to descend. And I'll add from the mountain. If we have power to rise only, something is wrong. It is a great thing to be on the mountain with God, but a man only gets there in order that afterwards he may get down among the devil possessed and lift him up. You remember when Peter was up there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? He was ready to build some tents and, and camp out. But it, he had to come back down from the mountain. And if you look over there in 1 Peter, I think it is, 1 Peter, he, he talks about how we have a more sure word of prophecy than the very word of God that spoke to him out loud. We have the Bible. But he says, but a man only gets there in order that afterwards he may get down among the devil possessed and lift them up. We're not built for the mountains and the dawns and aesthetic affinities. Those are for the moments of inspiration. That's all. We are built for the valley, for the ordinary stuff we are in. And that is where we have to prove our mettle. Spiritual selfishness always wants repeat moments on the mountain. We feel we could talk like angels and live like angels. If only we could stay on the mount. The times of exaltation are exceptional. They have their meaning in our life with God. But we must beware lest our spiritual selfishness wants to make them the only time. The Christian life, I've come to learn this. It's not built on the big moments. It's not built on, you remember when? It's not built on... You know, uh, revival meetings. I, I, I just uh, got recommended a book by Finney on revivalism. I just started it. But, you know, he, he starts out in the forward and he, he led the revival movement. I think it was during the Great Away. He led the revival meeting movement. And he'd gone to Africa and seen a great revival there. But when he came back to America, he just saw a bunch of conflict. <laughs> All of that had kind of faded out. You know, the excitement and all that, it had kind of faded out. Your Christian life's made up of those small moments. 
It's made up of those small decisions that you make. Are you going to stay close to God in this moment or are you going to let bitterness take over? Are you going to get in the word this morning or are you just going to head out the door? It's those small moments that make up a strong Christian life. It's not the mountaintop experiences. It's built on those quiet moments in God's word and prayer and meditation. So Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when he cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And as you build on these quiet moments in your life, you begin to spread out roots in God's word. But the roots that you spread out in God's word or the, the roots of a tree tell the story of a tree reaching out of water. You look down there at the roots, you know, in our yard, we got a magnolia tree, and you can see those roots going all around. It didn't happen overnight. But it searched for water over here. It, it, it grew toward the ditch. It grew over in this area. And as you build those quiet moments in your life and those moments with God, those moments of faith, those moments where you see God answer prayer and you see God work in your life, you're spreading out your roots and it's, it's grabbing hold. When that storm comes, you say, oh, no, I dug over here. And I've seen God work and I've dug over here and I've seen God work. Um, notice that the tree is by the water and not in the water. It'd be nice if we could just dwell inside the Holy Spirit and have everything be right. But it's got to live in the dirt of the world. It still has to function in the dirt of the world, but it reaches out with its roots to draw from the nearby river. Paul mentions being rooted and grounded. He says in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, he says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <clears throat> I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter number three, if you would. We're going to look at this a little briefly. This would be a whole sermon in its own, but. And I'll just tell you, I started the verse grab just based on rooted and grounded. Is over in Ephesians 3.17, Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. But when you look at Ephesians chapter 3 as a whole, you see what being rooted and grounded is. Because he says unto me, verse number 8, starting in verse number 8, he says unto me who am the less then the least of all saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. These are things as a Christian you should want in your life. The unsearchable riches of God. Oh, knowing the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning. To the intent that now, verse number 10, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. People say, if God would just show me, they want wisdom. If you want wisdom, pray for wisdom. You know where you pray for wisdom? In those quiet moments. You begin to spread out roots. You say, Lord, show me. Lord, give me some wisdom in this. 
He said, and to make and to the intent that now upon the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the internal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, what's your plan for me? What, what do you want from me? He doesn't tell you. He doesn't hand you a manual. He doesn't hand you a, a whole guide. He doesn't show you the future. But what he does is he steers you in those quiet moments. As you're reaching out, as you're putting out your roots and you're searching for that water that God provides, that spiritual water. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. Boldness and confidence. Verse number 12. You know, a Christian will get defeated. He'll get beat up. You know why? Because he's not planted by the rivers of water. Because he's not reaching out in those quiet moments. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, withstanding temptation, withstanding trial. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, strengthened on the inside may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So being rooted and grounded in love. This is what many people are looking for in their Christian walk, and these are the kinds of Christians we need in today's world. The unsearchable riches of Christ, boldness to stand for Christ, confidence in their faith and salvation and strengthen in the inner man, standing strong in tribulations and against temptations, being able to withstand the dry seasons, being able to withstand the storms and to withstand the heat, not withering up with bitterness. That's the demographic I want to reach. When a Christian is planted by the source and grows deep roots in their walk, you go back to Psalm 1. Actually, just go to Galatians chapter 5. Because it's like I said, when the tree is planted by the water, when the Christian is at the source, you don't see the spirit flowing through them. You don't see the supply going into the tree. You don't see the tree nourishing, but what you see is a result. And one of the results that you see is a tree that bear, bears fruit. In Psalm 1, some of the results, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. But let's look at bearing fruit. Look over at Galatians chapter number 5. And this passage is one of, one of my favorite passages. But uh, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about the flesh and the, and the, and the Spirit. But you go down to verse number 22. It said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. When you're planted by the source... It says your, your fruit, and he says, he shall be planted, verse uh, Psalm 1-3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. 
His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is what we're looking for. Those are the things that manifest themselves in you. Those are the things that show up in your life when you're planted by the rivers of water. And that's why I went with the three trees, and that's why I went with Psalm 1-3. Because that's the demographic we're looking for. So I want to ask you this morning, are you planted by the river? Are you planted by the source? And I pray that we as a church will all be, and we'll see what God will do. All right, if you'll stand.